You're listening to the Music Hills podcast, a space where we discuss the human relationship with music and the impact it has on our physical, mental, and emotional well-being. Hey y'all, it's Ray. Welcome to the Music Hills podcast. It's episode five. Today's Music Heals quote of the day is, music can heal the wounds that medicine cannot touch. Sometimes I feel like we have these feelings that cause us like emotional pain or a pain that we can't describe. Sometimes even physical pain because, you know, our emotions can manifest in our bodies in different ways. But, you know, talking it out doesn't help. Stretching it out doesn't help. Taking a Tylenol is not going to help, but listening to music or creating music may help us cope with those feelings. So what am I currently listening to to get me through? So Burna Boy dropped. Burna Boy dropped his new album, Twice As Tall. I love Burna Boy. He and um, Malik Berry are probably the two artists that really got me into Afrobeats. And it's just really exciting to see that genre become more popular and celebrated. Now, I haven't listened all the way through Twice as Tall. Um, It's actually pretty lengthy, but there are a couple of songs on there already that I'm like, oh, yeah, these are definitely going on my saved songs list. So I don't know about y'all, but me, I have had Blackest King on repeat like in the background at home (laughs) I have watched this thing like five times I would say at least five times because when I have if I have guests like if my family comes over um I'm like have you seen Black is King and they're like no no I haven't seen it I'm like do you want to watch it right now (laughs) so I have watched it probably like five times already and it stays on repeat in this household Speaking of Black is King, I've been reading a little bit about how there's been some like deep criticism of Black is King from people who are actually from Africa, from one of the nations in Africa. So I came across this article on NPR.com and the opinion column that was written called Goats and Soda stories of life in a changing world. The two authors of Goats and Soda, this particular article, they talk about how there has been so much criticism of Black is King, but they still love that it celebrates um, African local styles and music and it shots in, uh, it was shot in locations such as Nigeria, Ghana, South Africa, those nations. It showcases the continent's natural beauty as far as like agriculture goes, seas, forests, deserts, you know, the natural land, and some of the important landmarks. Um, and it also features and highlights uh, a lot of the different African musicians like Wizkid, Tiwa Savage, um, some of those artists. So that was nice to see. And it was nice to hear. But these two authors also have some criticism of Black is King. And they talk about, you know, it does a great job of celebrating Blackness in totality. But they couldn't help but notice that it's not necessarily what you would consider Pan-African. So the cultures of Nigeria and South Africa were heavily featured. um, But 
countries like Kenya and East Africa were not really represented. And that's a little bit ironic because the original Lion King is supposed to be set in East Africa. So it would have been cool to see Beyonce include more East African cultures as well. But, you know, acknowledging the fact that that may have been hard to fit all of the beauty and all of the diversity of the continent into one feature film. You know, that probably would have been difficult. Another point that they bring up, um, they quote someone who tweeted, I'm tired of seeing animal skin costumes. This is not how we dress, for goodness sake, climbing in trees, etc. I think this is how the Western world likes to imagine Africa, so it's for their consumption, not ours. That's actually a really good point. Another quote in the article says there is so much more to Africa than lions and painting our faces white. So the authors of this particular article don't mind the animal prints as much as some people who have had an issue with it because they think that the that Black as King in its totality is a timely celebration of blackness. But they do understand, like, this is not an accurate representation of how an everyday African would dress. But me personally, I don't really know if that was the goal of Blackest King. I think that Blackest King achieved what it was set out to do, and that was to celebrate um, the African diaspora, even though, you know, it wasn't a full representation of that. Um, I think it was a great piece of the African, it represented a great piece of the African diaspora to people who may not have been familiar. To be honest, I don't even know if Black is King was, I know it was a celebration for us, but information wise and, you know, uh, exposure wise, I don't really think it was for us, (laughs) to be honest. I think it was to introduce people people who may not ha- may not be familiar or may not be used to seeing visuals of that nature it was to put it on um, an international platform to expose others to it and welcome others to celebrate blackness so overall i feel like this was a way for us to come together celebrate our blackness um, it was a great accompaniment to the movie and it was just a powerful way to provide a beautiful representation of blackness for the entire world to view and I think that's the point so I also have been reading a lot about like the state of music now that you know we're in the middle of this pandemic and how live music is coping and what the near future is going to bring so i came across this article on npr.org saying that without federal intervention as many as 90 percent of indie music venues could disappear and that's according to the national independent venue association um, the newly formed advocacy organization niva They're lobbying hard for legislation like the Restart Act or Save Our Stages Act, which would provide large-scale financial assistance to these endangered venues. So for these independent venues, like time is really running out. And if Congress doesn't pass one of the music industry aid bills, the impact of 
these venues not being able to uh, function normally uh, could be culturally devastating for the music industry, especially for local bands and artists and, and artists who tour. For touring artists, they tend to make the bulk of their income performing live, and that could jeopardize their ability to plan a successful tour in the future once the pandemic is over, or even think creatively about how they can successfully tour right now. I've been seeing a lot of examples of like socially distanced um, concerts and shows, but all the examples I've been seeing have been in other countries. So I'm just trying to figure out like when the U.S. is going to get on it. Like Division the other day, I think it was yesterday, posted on their Instagram. Um, they had a show and like in the crowd, people were parked in designated spots six feet apart. And it looked like such a vibe. And then my friend, he was showing me like on um, the late show with Stephen Colbert, they had a band who was like the featured um, musician for the night and they were in bubbles. It was so weird to see like the band members and the audience members were in those big, huge, like human hamster will like the clear bubbles, but human sized and it was so odd. People were like all jumping around and the bubbles were kind of like bouncing off of each other. So that was kind of weird. <laughs> so it's time for healing combos. And today I wanted to talk about this really interesting article that I read about RZA from Wu-Tang Clan. He created a new ice cream truck jingle for the company or in partnership <clears throat> in partnership with the company Good Humor. So Good Humor is offering this new ice cream truck song starting this month and they're offering it through Nichols Electronics and Nichols Electronics is a family owned manufacturer of ice cream truck music boxes. So this new song is supposed to replace Turkey in the Straw. And I don't know if you guys know, but the Turkey in the Straw, which is the normal ice cream truck song that we're used to hearing that we that we grew up with as kids, it has a dark racist history. So that melody was popularized in minstrel shows. And if you don't know what minstrel shows are, um, I'll drop a link <laughs> in the show description. And sometimes the song was accompanied by hateful and racist lyrics. So here's a quote from Riza from the article. He says, we wanted to make a melody that includes all community. That's good for every driver. That's good for every kid. And I'm proud to say for the first time in a long time, a new ice cream jingle will be made available to trucks all across the country in perpetuity. That means forever, like Wu-Tang's forever. And I can assure you, this one is made with love. That's pretty, pretty cool to hear him say. As far as distributing the song to truck drivers, um, a spokesperson from Good Humor said that the brand is working with distributors to share educational materials with the drivers and strongly encouraging them to discontinue their use of turkey in the straw. And they're also supposed to be advising them on how to use alternative options, including the new original jingle from RZA. Now, this is really, really good news. 
And I want you guys to hear just a little bit of the jingle. (laughs) I try to drop in like a little audio each episode, but I want you guys to hear a little bit of it because it has some hip hop elements in it, of course. And I just think that this was a great opportunity that Good Humor provided for a black hip hop legend to contribute to something like this in history. And this song, no matter how small it seems, can be celebrated by kids and celebrated by us. So there are a couple of things that really come to mind when I think about the importance of something seemingly small like this. Like this seems like a small thing, but it's really not. And I know I said I wasn't going going to describe what a menstrual show is, but just to kind of give you an idea, um, a menstrual show was an American form of entertainment developed in the early 19th century. Each one of the shows consisted of comic skits, um, variety arts, dancing, and musical performances that typically depicted people of African descent. But it wasn't just like a depiction of black people that was like fun and lighthearted. It was white people dressing up, painting their faces black, um, and depicting Africans as dumb idiots mocking us further perpetuating some damaging stereotypes that were associated with being black and that still are associated with being black today. And so because this song, what the melody was used as a popular song in those types of shows and accompanied by racist lyrics, um, I, I think about how, I mean, I didn't, I never learned about that. When I was a kid, I didn't know that the ice cream truck song was something that was bad or something that was used used in an environment that depicted someone who looked like me as an idiot. And I just think about like what kind of impact that had unknowing, like what kind of invisible or not invisible, just like what kind of impact did it have on me that I may not know? We talk about things like racial trauma and how trauma can be passed down through the DNA. And I just wonder sometimes if that's something that can be passed down, you know, by listening through music, that by listening to songs that have a racist history. You know, is that trauma something that's embedded in us now? Because as young black men or young black boys and girls, Uh, We listen to that very often. Is that something that's embedded in us now? And we have no idea. So all of this led me down a a road on the internet. (laughs) I found this article on Psychology Today. The title of it is, Wait, Can Music Be Racist? So the author of the article mentions that she was reading and recently came across a piece of work that gave a history of certain songs included on many um, music therapists must know lists. So the author of this article is a music therapist. She was reading another piece of work and this piece of work listed a lot of the songs that music therapists are supposed to know and use in their practice that have a racist history. And that was eye-opening to her 
because she then realized that, you know, she may have unintentionally perpetuated a system of oppression through utilizing these songs in her practice. Um, some of the songs in the article, and I imagine that maybe um, this is for music therapists who work with children, possibly, but some of the songs it mentions are I've Been Working on the Railroad and When the Saints Go Marching In. So those are two pretty popular ones that it talks about. So the author goes on to say that uh, music has such a strong influence over our health and wellness as individuals, which is true. And she's curious to know if it can do that, if it can do the same on a larger scale. And she knows that and research supports that engaging in group music making and music listening um, facilitates group cohesion, a sense of togetherness, emotional connectedness. But on a more macro level, she's curious to know how we can use music to care for each other, um, to learn more, to heal, and to live as a society that embraces diverse people, cultures, and lifestyles. So what she did is she gave four tips to actively raise our consciousness about implicit bias and structural racism within music and how we can transform what we learn into opportunities to heal. So the first tip says, take time to learn the history of songs and other musical works, their composers, and the artists known for performing those songs, that will provide you with historical context, and it may keep you from unintentionally contributing to perpetuating racism and collective trauma. The second tip says, if you choose to use or sing a racist song or other musical piece, or another musical piece with a dark or contentious history, do so intentionally and in a way that promotes anti-racism. So if you decide to go and sing this song that has this racist past, make sure that the message that you are putting out is anti-racist. For example, use the song to stimulate a conversation about race or whatever the difficult, uncomfortable topic is that's appropriate to the song. I remember um, I was a freshman at the University of Pittsburgh and I had a, it was like a social sciences class, but it did delve into different songs that were used throughout different movements. And some of those songs had very uncomfortable lyrics and it was a class that was probably like 85% black. And some of the songs that she used in her curriculum had racist lyrics, but it, was, it wasn't like she was promoting what those songs were saying. It was just giving us an inside look at, um, at how a song can perpetuate things like structural racism and um, racial biases. But the third tip says, seek out and learn songs that do not have a racist history those that are composed and performed by African-Americans and other oppressed and marginalized groups. So intentionally look for these songs that don't have this dark past and look for songs that are composed and performed by African-Americans to elevate the voices of Black artists and composers, which goes into her fourth point of 
support and elevate Black artists and others who are using their musical or non-musical voices to speak their truth and lived experiences. Speaking of elevating... Speaking of elevating Black voices and Black composers, do y'all remember, like, it had to have been maybe like a month or so ago. I don't know, but there was this whole debate on Twitter about whether Beethoven was Black. And there were a lot of um, tweets going around saying that he was Black. Um, So this whole road that I was led down about uh, the racist history of some songs that were very popular kind of dumped me into that uh, bucket (laughs) of if if Beethoven was black. But I, I read this, I found this really cool article that said, you know, well, he probably wasn't black or maybe he was, but here are a few black European composers who you probably should know, like you should probably know their names. And it's interesting because I do not know, I did not know their names before reading this article. Um, And that's crazy because I should, especially playing the violin. (laughs) I should definitely know these names. Uh, Some names mentioned Chevalier de St. George, Samuel Coleridge Taylor, Edmund Dede, Amanda Aldridge and it's crazy because it also inputs this tweet from Dr. Kira Thurman saying so instead of asking the question was Beethoven black you know quit this silly debate (laughs) ask why don't I know anything about George Bridge Tower I frankly don't need any more debates about Beethoven's blackness but I do need people to play the music of Bridge Tower and others like him So playing the music of these names that were mentioned in the article, elevating their work, elevating their, uh, well, their voices through music and making their names known, I think is a very important and effective way to combat the racist history of songs that we may not know. If we work more toward elevating the voices of Black composers like the names that were mentioned, that will help fight against, um, some of the trauma that has been embedded in us due to listening to songs with a very racist past. Well, you guys, that wraps up this episode of Music Heals. You can follow us on Instagram at musicasahealer. Send us an email at musicasahealer at gmail.com and tell us how you use music to heal. See y'all next week.